Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would show us Jesus. We desire to see him. Lord, would you bring glory into this place today? Would you bring glory into us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning. It's great to be together. So earlier this week... um, Our Wednesday, I'm in a life group, a Wednesday men's life group. We studied this morning's gospel and we read where we find reading it, where we find that a group of Greeks, uh, that would be Gentile people, not Jewish people. They might be proselytes. They might have come into the Jewish faith, but never regardless, they are interested in Jesus, right? These Greeks come up to his Jesus' disciples and say this, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so as our life group discussed what it means to see Jesus somewhere along the way, one of the men reminded us or told us about a billboard or a sign that he saw on Highway 17 in North Mount Pleasant. And here's what it said. If you want to know Jesus, pray. If you want to see Jesus, Text him now. (laughs) Now, I have not independently verified this, but I think this was a sign that was meant to deter people from texting and driving, right? (laughs) I really wasn't sure whether I should lead with that or whether I should follow the joke with that. So either way, um, the good news today, friends, is that you do not have to text and die to see Jesus. But the question remains, how can we see Jesus? Now, there are a lot of opinions out there. There might be a lot of opinions in here, you know, from everything from he doesn't exist or he's not knowable or you cannot be certain or he's a little too far away to be seen. Like when I was in high school, my dad took me to the Washington, D.C. Convention Center to see and hear Nelson Mandela. For most of my childhood, my father, who was uh, and is a professor of African history, has had been doing his part to bring an end to the oppressive apartheid laws in South Africa. And now the most significant leader of the kind of uh, opposition resistance to those laws had been released after 27 years in prison, held because of his political Activism, And it was 1990, and apartheid, it was coming to an end. And we were going to see Mandela. And I've been hearing about him my whole life. I'd watched my dad try to uh, help that uh, in whatever way he could, and we were really excited. Now, if you have ever been to one of those mammoth convention centers, you will understand my disappointment when I tell you that I never once saw Nelson Mandela. I could hear him. But we were a country mile from the stage. And the building was full of people, full of people, full of people. And the whole place was littered with these support columns all the way through. And, you know, it was before jumbotrons and LED walls and all the stuff. You couldn't see a thing. But it was and still one of the most electrifying moments of my life. This is how I imagined the crowds felt when Jesus entered Jerusalem that Palm Sunday. He's just entered in 
to his triumphal entry, his fame, the news of his miracles, most recently having raised Lazarus from the dead, it was spreading. There's a big crowd, and in that crowd are these Gentiles, these Greeks, and they want to see Jesus as well. But it's not just how they felt. I think it's how we feel as well. Isn't this the reason we are all here? We want to see Jesus. We want to know whether he's real. Whether you're here wondering that or you're considering, should I follow him? Or you've walked away and you come back and you're hoping that he might accept you this morning. Perhaps you're hoping for some sort of miracle, spiritual or physical in your life. You have a need to be healed. Or you simply want to grow closer to him. You are here because you want to see Jesus. This is why we're all here. It's why uh, inside many pulpits in churches... We don't really have one here, but imagine if you had a pulpit around me, they would print these very words of the Greek inside the pulpit. Sir, we want to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. It's a reminder that the main thing that a pastor or preacher is supposed to do is to show people who Jesus is. It's why uh, when we uh, gather the people serving on a Sunday, back when we had people serving on a Sunday up front, right? We would gather them together, we would pray, and then... Uh, John Burwell did this, and Chris does this, and I do this. We say, give them Jesus. Because, after all, we could do all the right stuff up here. We could play the most beautiful songs. We could uh, celebrate uh, liturgical practices. But if we don't give people Jesus, then we aren't doing anything that matters. You see, we all want to see Jesus. And so when they come to Jesus, when they come to the apostles and the apostles get together and they come to Jesus and they tell them about the request of the Greeks, the Gentiles, here's Jesus' basic answer. It's either to the disciples or it's to the, to the Greeks. We don't really know. But Jesus' point is this. He goes, to see his glory, you have to be his glory. What Jesus says is that I'm going to show you who I am right now. To see his glory, you have to be his glory. But in order for you and me to be his glory, we have to know what it is, right? We have to understand it. And so according to Jesus' response, we're given three places to look for his glory in this passage. We have to look on the cross, we have to look in the grave, and we have to look at Jesus' obedience. In the cro- on the cross, in the grave, at his obedience, all right? So first things first, you have to look at the cross. Jesus' first response to the Greeks' request is to tell the disciples, to tell those gathered, it's there in verse 30, excuse me, 23, that the hour has come for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, right? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The penultimate moment of his life, of Jesus' ministry, has finally arrived. The time has come. The hour has come. And this sounds kind of cryptic, but it's actually language that has been used from the very beginning of John's gospel, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus' mother, when you remember the miracle at Cana, right, when Jesus turns water into wine, Jesus' mother comes and goes, hey, the, the master of the party has 
run out of wine. And Jesus' response to his mom, he says, My time has not come. My hour has not yet come. In the middle of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 7, in the middle of healing, when the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus, the disciples want him to go to Jerusalem. And his response to them is, my time has not yet fully come. But guess what? In today's passage, his time has come. The time is now. It's here. And the hour and the time that he's talking about is actually his crucifixion. It is the cross. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, then you have to look at the cross of Jesus. He's come to die for the sin of the world. He's come to die in the place of the guilty. He's come to die for the Jews, and he's come to die for the Greeks, and he's come to die for you. That's Jesus' purpose. And the cross is the means by which Satan will be defeated and sin overcome. And he makes this point, Jesus makes this point in our verse 31. When Jesus endures the cross in the grave, this is the time for the judgment of the world and the ruler of the world to be cast out. Jesus is victorious over evil on the cross. It's the means by which Satan loses. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I feel like Satan is still really active right now. But guess what? His days are numbered. He's lost the battle. You know, that whatever the D-Day events that led, then they had the cleaning up operation, right? We're living in the time of the cleanup operation. Satan has lost. But the cross, it's also the means by which humans come to salvation. Jesus continues in verse 31. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When Jesus says when he's lifted up, he literally means when he is lifted up and nailed to the hardwood of the cross. That event is the uh, the beckon to the whole world. He is giving every opportunity to see him and to find salvation in him. If you want to see him, friends, if you want to see him and all his glory, you have to look at the cross. The second thing is, if you want to see Jesus, you have to look in the grave. Now, throughout his ministry, all along, Jesus has given us glimpses of his purpose, right? Uh, he's here to seek and save the lost. He goes out and searches out for the lost sheep. He's come to bring eternal life. And in order to produce this fruit, because that's what it is, finding the lost, bringing life, it's fruit, Jesus uses an agricultural reference. He often does this. Something, he says, has to die. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I went out to our shed this morning to help make this point. And I went into the shed and I collected all of the seed packets that I could see and find. I didn't look, have to look very hard. There are probably about, I don't know, ten of them here. Year after year, I stand in the garden center and I select seeds. But nothing ever grows. 
I can't figure it out. (laughs) Nothing ever grows because the seeds are never what? Planted. I mean, I don't know how many years I've had these. A vegetable seed in the package will do nothing until it's buried in the ground. Jesus' life, as wonderful as it is, as great as it is to hear his teachings and to watch his miracles, his life will not fulfill its purpose unless he's buried in the grave. The fruit he produces comes because he's in the grave and he is resurrected. He grows something. Fruit comes up. See, by his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, we are able to be resurrected ourselves. You are the fruit he bears. You are his glory. If you want to see Jesus, you've got to look at the grave. Third, if you want to see Jesus, you have to look at the way he serves. You have to look at his obedience. The prospect of the cross is harrowing and costly. So much so that Jesus admits it in verse 27, that even his soul is troubled. He is anguishing over this moment. And his prayer shows it. He says, well, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it is for this purpose I have come to this hour. See, Jesus is obedient to the Father's purpose for which he's sent. Praise God that he was perfectly obedient. Because unless he goes to the cross... Unless he's buried in the grave, he cannot rise again. He cannot overcome death. And he cannot, uh, cannot die for our sin. Sin will still have power over us. That's what Paul, I'm sorry, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying when our high priest has to give uh, offering in the Old Testament, has to sacrifice for himself over and over again. Because why? He keeps sinning. He keeps needing to be have a sacrifice. But Jesus, he is the perfect offering. He is the perfect priest. And because he was perfectly obedient, it says in Hebrews, he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him. Unless he overcomes death, Satan's power is not destroyed and you cannot have eternal life. And so in the face of those challenges... In the face of his troubled spirit, he says, Father, glorify your name. Jesus' obedience is what uh, actually bears fruit. And we see his glory. We see in him, in his obedience, in doing the will of the Father. And God confirms that when he does that, he is bringing glory to the Father's name. A voice from heaven. This is the third time God has spoken from heaven over Jesus. The Father's voice says, I have glorified my name, and I will do it again. He glorifies his name again when Jesus rises from the dead, right? He does it again and again. He does it today through, this may surprise you, 
God glorifies his name today through you. To see his glory, you have to be his glory. So the question is, how do we give him glory? How do you live out this reality in this season of Lent and throughout your whole life? This is at the heart of our human identity. You were designed for this. Theologian J.I. Packer wrote, he said, The to and fro of seeing the glory in God and giving glory to God is the true fulfillment of human nature at its heart. And it brings supreme joy to us as humans, as his disciples, as it does to God. And what Jesus has done this morning is he's given you a picture of who he is. If you want to see Jesus, you look to the cross where sin is forgiven. You look to the grave where forgiveness is planted and new life is uh, resurrected. And you look at the way Jesus willingly serves humanity and how he is obedient despite the cost. But it's not just a picture of his life, but it is a pattern for yours. To see his glory, you must give him glory. To see his glory, be his glory. One of my professors wrote this. He said, the cross is not just a one-time event that atones for sin, though it is certainly that. It is the most dramatic case in point of the pattern of divine life that exists for all time. Just look at verse 26. Jesus says this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus' point here is this. What the disciples are looking for, what the Greeks are looking for, what you're looking for is found in following Jesus. Following him where he is on the cross, where he is in the grave, where he is being obedient to the Father's call. There my servant will be also, Jesus says. See, that's where you belong. That's where I belong. And it is how you and I honor God. It's how we bring him glory. What Jesus is doing is transforming your life. That's what he's doing for the disciples. It's what he's doing for the Greeks. He's what he's doing today. So this morning I ask you, how do we follow in Follow his example, his pattern. Well, the first thing is there are things that we have to die to. We, too, have to die to our selfish desires. We have to die to uh, wanting our life to be shaped by the world's priorities. But the second thing is we have to also plant that and bury it in the grave. We, too, must bury the seeds of our life so that through us it might bear fruit. God has fruit for you to bear through death, through being a living, dying example for him. That you can bear fruit in the world. And third, we do it through being obedient. Being obedient to him and to his call. I wonder this morning if that's a little harrowing for you as well. 
because it is for me. Even though I've been walking with Jesus my whole life, even though I've learned that he is faithful and he honors our sacrifice and our offering to him and he makes us into who he wants, it's still harrowing. And so our prayer, let's make our prayer this morning in the face of uh, a troubled spirit, in the face of wanting what the world wants and, and wanting what Jesus wants for us, in the face of, of a call to be obedient when all I want to do is live for myself. Let's make our prayer this. Father, glorify your name. If you make your prayer this week, Father, glorify your name, he will. And it will bear fruit in your life and it will bear fruit in the lives of others around you. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, glorify your name. Be glorified in us. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Lord, help us to die to our selfish desires. Help us to plant ourselves in you, in your ground, in your soil, abiding in you, rooted in you, as Paul says in the Ephesians. Help us to plant ourselves in you and be obedient to you. And Lord, would you show us your fruit and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.